You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Hey, Drew Scott here, and I'm Jonathan Scott, reminding you that life's better with a home policy from American Family Insurance. They can help you get just the right protection at just the right price and help you save when you bundle home and auto. Kind of like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. It'll be just right for you. We love a custom build. American Family Insurance. Insure carefully. Dream fearlessly. Get a quote and find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. From Shakespeare to Schwartz. From Fosse to Alvin Ailey. From Sondheim to Borellis. From McNally to Faye. It happened to the greats. It still happens every day. When lightning strikes. It's the moment you know. When lightning strikes. Where you're meant to go. You can stand and shout your eagle. Hi, this is Gerald Brunner, and you're listening to When Lightning Strikes, where we talk about that heart-thumping, tingly, mic-drop moment that led you to becoming an artist. And my guest today is Asmaret Geber-Mikkel. Asmaret is a true force on Broadway, off-Broadway, on the West End. She's a Drama Desk winner, and she's been working on Broadway for 20 years in many, many shows. Some of her credits include The Book of Mormon, Elf, In the Heights, Legally Blonde, Spamalot, Wicked, Dream Girls on the West End. She was nominated for both the Lucille Lortel and Cheetah Rivera Awards for playing Nikki in the gorgeous production of Sweet Charity. She was in The Wiz Live on NBC. You can watch her in the awesome web series Submissions Only. She currently stars on the BBC TV show Get Even. And Asmoret wrote a beautiful opinion piece for Broadway News called I'm Tired of Being the Token Black Friend. Well, first of all, welcome, Asmorel. How are you? Thank you so much. I'm good, Gerald. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm so happy to talk to you and inspired by you. Uh, I want to read something in, in your opinion piece that I found so moving and taught me a lot. Um, you wrote, I encourage you, the producers, the directors, the choreographers, the writers, the composers, the designers, all theater makers to take a beat. Think about your circle. What does it look like? Does everyone look like you? How can you create opportunities for people of color to join your world? If you can figure out how to make it rain on stage, I believe you can examine your resources and devise ways to combat the institutionalized racism that not only plagues us as a society, but also lives and breathes on the great white way. The onus is on you to make a change. People of color are currently coping with the trauma that these most recent racist attacks have triggered. 
we must now be activists in the middle of a global health crisis. And it's both physically and emotionally exhausting. And you're the ones in control. Don't be sorry, change. Wow. That's really beautiful. I know there was a lot to read. But I a lot to write. <laughs> so how, how are you getting through? Well, um, I, I was having a conversation recently with, with um, other, other of my colleagues who are feeling what's going on so deeply as, as artists of color. And it's a very moment-to-moment, -moment, day by day kind of thing you know when when all of these um when when the news first first broke about george floyd and and even what happened with christian cooper in central park um yeah. the the fact that we're dealing with this pandemic has already put us in a space of anxiety and then these these racial attacks happened and it was double you know so uh when it when it first happened i was feeling grief i was going through the stages of grief and i was angry and i was anxious and i was sad um and those those emotions certainly do come back um but i think in the in the days and the in the weeks that i've started to actually lend my voice to what i hope is is change being made um i've started to feel a little bit lighter and uh, I mean, I still have the moments where I see something on social media and it just completely breaks my heart. You know, um, the other the other side of us all being home because of this pandemic is that people have a lot of time to post on their Instagram and their Twitter. And so you're you're getting that you're just inundated with all of this information. And so um, I've been grateful to see that people are so impassioned and, and, and it feels to me that people are inspired to to make change you know not just not just black people and people of color but but white people as well um so i've sort of run the gamut of emotions um and as a result of that i've just really gone back to the things that that make me feel better the self-care rituals that i rely on you know meditation and therapy and deleting my social media apps if i need to if i need a break from all this information and and rest you know because we're also still dealing with a global health crisis yeah so you know it's it's been it's been really eye-opening i think because we're all home but i also think that there's just so much more information and energy out there um so i've just sort of Kept, kept an eye on my own mental health in all of this. We talk about some of your lightning strikes moments. I mean, even this lightning strikes moment of you penning that beautiful opinion piece uh, for Broadway News. You know, what, what was it that um, inspired you to share? Well, you know, in light of what's been happening on a larger scale with the, with police brutality and, and systemic yeah. and institutionalized racism in the country, it's, it's encouraged people to look within and to look at, you know, their day-to-day -day lives and the workplace. And so I had some colleagues and friends take to the internet and speak up about injustices that they've felt they've experienced and, and how it made them feel. And I was watching my colleagues and I was really proud that people felt 
strongly enough to be that vulnerable and share these experiences because it's not easy, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And I just started thinking, you know, I've been doing this for a really long time. Um, I have my own experiences. Will it be helpful if I share what I've gone through? And, and can I inspire someone else to use their voice in that way? And so when I was approached to write the piece, first, there was a wave of anxiety. <laughs> I was like, mm-hmm. I don't know if anyone cares. I, you know, is it the right time? And as I sat with it, I just went, you know what? Yeah, I feel like I, I feel like I want to and I feel like it will help other people even just one person, it will even shed light, you know, because I'm someone who tends to just, you know, as I wrote in my piece, just sort of grit and bear it and, and, you know, make other people feel comfortable. And even before all of this started to come to light, I was having my own moments of, this is not okay for me to do anymore. I don't feel comfortable doing this. And so as actors, we don't have, we didn't have much power aside from saying no to auditions. You know, just just making sure that we were in control of the rooms that we were in on a small level. And so I thought, you know what, we have we have the floor right now. And this wasn't something that I just thought about overnight. This is 20 years of experience and relationships and perspective. Um, So I I just sat down and, and wrote something pretty quickly. And the response has actually blown me away. I'm, I'm, you know, it's, it's inspiring to hear people who have been through similar experiences, you know, and even if not the same exact, you know, there's something that resonated for, for a lot of people. And that's been, that's been the most inspiring and the most humbling. You were at NYU 18 years old when you made your Broadway debut. Do do I have that right? That's right. Yeah. Can you tell me about you, your lightning strikes moment when you knew you had to be an artist? Because you've been dancing yeah. for years. Right? I was dancing for years. Yeah, I grew up in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And um, I remember pretty vividly when it happened. Um, I was, I would come to New York with a group of kids from my studio and my teacher would drive us in and we would come and see shows. And, and we started taking classes at, at studios like Broadway Dance Center and Steps. And yeah, and I'll never forget, we saw Kiss of the Spider Woman when Vanessa Williams was playing the lead. And I just remember sitting in the audience and seeing a woman who looked like me front and center starring in this show. And I always loved performing. I knew I knew when I was little that I liked being in front of the camera and being the center of attention because I would make up songs. But this moment when I was uh, 11 or 12 years old really crystallized it for me. And I remember going back to school and we had to write some kind of a report on what we wanted to do. And I remember specifically saying that I wanted to be on Broadway. Um, and I wanted to go to NYU. It's exactly what I said. And... The only I knew nothing about NYU. I was eleven, you know, twelve years old, and the only information that I had about NYU was that Theo Huxtable from the Cosby Show went there, and so anytime that they showed him at school, it looked really cool. I was like, "This campus is so cool. New York is is really like fun looking," um, and it was the only college that I knew of, you know. But I knew that I had to perform, um, and so from then on, I that was my goal. Um, it just kind of stuck. Um, now I studied communications at NYU. I didn't study 
anything performance-based. Um, but I moved to New York so that I could be a part of the action. And, and I would audition during the day. Um, I mean, I would go to school during the day and, and you know, catch the, the auditions that I could. And once I got my Broadway show, I was going to school you know, as regularly scheduled. And then at night I was going and doing my Broadway show. That is so extraordinary. What was it about that performance and Kiss of a Spider Woman? Well, I mean, incredible production. Yes. Gorgeous performer, beautiful music. What was it though about Vanessa Williams and seeing her, that that 11 year old, 12 year old, that just, how did it make you feel seeing her? Well, I think it, I think it was, I had seen a few other shows and I, I loved it. You know, I, I remember seeing all these performances and, and my first Broadway show and off Broadway shows and, and it was, it was exciting. You know, there was no doubt that I, that I loved what I was seeing, but I saw myself in Vanessa Williams. That was the most exciting to me. It made things, it made it a reality or something that I could aspire to because you didn't see, I mean, it's very similar to what I'm talking about now about being the token, but it, it really, you know, that has, that has shaped who I, who I am today because, um, you know, in order to be able to, in order to, to have dreams, you have to, you have to know that they're attainable in some sense, I think, you know, and that, that made it, a very achievable thing for me to see somebody with skin like mine who was dancing, singing and acting this amazing triple threat in these glorious, you know, glamorous costumes. Can you talk about when you got the news that you were cast in your first Broadway show, Footloose, here you were in college. I remember vividly um, because the call was, it was a very last minute audition also. Um, I, had auditioned for the show a couple of times prior and didn't, didn't, I, you know, I'd get down to the end and then not, not get the job. And I remember getting a phone call. I was in school. It was my second semester and I got a phone call to come back in. And I remember I wore the same yellow leotard and had my hair up in this little ponytail. And, and the, the creative team knew who I was, but you know, at this point, one of my um, childhood friends who I grew up with in the studio was in the show and they had seen me audition three or four times, I think at this point. And I remember it was a very, it was a last minute call. Someone had been injured. And so they needed someone to start right away. And I remember finishing my singing and Walter Bobby, the director asked if I could roller skate. And, you know, you learn from a young age that you just say yes to anything, you know, <laughs> even if you're like, I'm terrified. You just, you know, so he asked if I could, if I could roller skate and they sort of vocalized me at the piano and then they just were so, so smiley and, and just, you know, thanking me for coming in. And I left and I remember God, it couldn't have been more than two or three hours that I got a call from the company manager. I was in my dorm and she told me that I got the job and I was starting the following Tuesday rehearsals. Okay. Um, <laughs> I was, I just freaked out. I couldn't believe it. You know, um, it was not the way that I expected it to be. It didn't be, I didn't expect to be in school, um, you know, writing papers or whatever I was doing that day. And I called my parents and I'll never forget this conversation. I, I told my, my dad and I told my mom and my mother just went, well, what about school? 
And I said, well, what about school? I'll just do both with, you know, the only optimism that you can have as someone who's making her Broadway debut, who's young and just excited to be, you know, on Broadway. Um, and that's what, that's, that's how it went. I was, it was challenging, you know, but I loved it so much and I was so excited. I was, um, I was a swing, which means that you understudy multiple roles. I was, I was covering nine female tracks mm-hmm. and I was a Martin Luther King Jr. scholar at NYU. So I had to maintain a certain grade point average. So when I wasn't on, on stage, I was in my dressing room, either reading or working on papers that were due. It was, it was a very intense, exciting experience. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. That's so phenomenal. And just to give it even more context, your parents are um, immigrants, right? Yes. From from East Africa, from yes. a small country called Eritrea. That's right. So you're, you're first generation. And mm-hmm. I didn't they come here to the United States because of their education, to get their education. Do I have yeah, that right? Your right. mom's a nurse. And uh, so I could, on one level, I see, I could understand how she would say, oh, what about your education? Right. You know, here you're going to be on Broadway. Yes. Um, well, that was the conversation before I even moved to New York. It was, you know, they both came... They both came to this country for education. There was a civil war with Ethiopia at the time. And so they left and with the knowledge that they couldn't go back. Um, at the time, Haile Selassie, who was the, who was the leader of Ethiopia, um, was not having Eritreans back into the country. So they left everything behind, basically, for education and, and for a new life. And so growing up with that knowledge... And, and wanting to go to, to New York without either getting a degree or going to school at all or, you know, um, getting a, a degree in, in the arts to them just didn't make any sense because, first of all, culturally, you know, people in and this, I think this is common in a lot of a lot of immigrant families where, you, you know, you, you become an engineer or you become a doctor, you become a lawyer, you know, you, you, you study something um in those fields, you know, something that's tangible. And so I grew up with them, you know, saying, well, you have to have something to fall back on. So I knew very early on that it wasn't going to be an option for me to go and study theater or drama or dance or anything. Um, and I just, I just had to prove to them that I was committed to getting a degree in something 
academic and also pursuing this passion of mine that I love so much. You know, the irony is that they came here because of their dreams and I was going to New York because of my dreams. You're not from a family of performers. So yeah. where and where did you get that gorgeous belt? <laughs> well, I don't come from a family of, of um, artists by trade, but my parents are very musical and, and I grew up listening to them singing all the time. And, um, you know, they're, they're huge, huge music fans. So we grew up listening to Stevie Wonder and the Supremes. And I mean, my mom had a Kenny Rogers phase, you know, there's just, like all types of music. <laughs> John Denver, there was a John Denver moment in our house. Um, and I, I do remember a song that I made up. It's, I used to terrorize my little sister, Semhar. Um, and there are countless home videos of me sort of just like forcing her to participate in these games and these songs that I was doing. And there's one, <laughs> there's one, there's one video where I'm like, she's crawling around. I like, I like force her to stay down on the ground. And I like make this song about her being like my little lamb. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm three years old or four years old and I'm going, my little baby with all the angst that a three or four year old can muster. I don't know where this passion came from. I also watched a lot of TV as a kid. So I think it probably stemmed from there. Um, but yeah, it was, everything was really belt centric. Um, I had a lot of unrealized pain or passion at that point. <laughs> so you were a very expressive kid. It sounds like. Yes. Very, very. I used to do impressions and you know, I, I think my love for comedy came at an early age too. Just watching um, a lot of bloopers shows, and I loved I loved watching sitcoms, and and you know those those programs really shaped who I am today as a as a comedian as well. What was one of your best impressions? Oh my god! <laughs> I used to I, don't ask me. Such a weird kid. I used to do I used to do Imelda Marcos. Oh God. I used to do Jesse Jackson. Um, wow. I used to, I watched the news a lot as well. Um, it's just like, it's just bizarre. Um, and I, I would, I would do a lot of mimicking. So I like to do accents and dialects, which I think later on, because my parents have accents too. I think maybe that's, I had an ear for it. Um, yeah. Weird, you, weird accents. I'm, I love this. Yeah. <laughs> I love that those choices. That you um, and do you remember when they saw you in Footloose, when your parents saw you in Footloose? And oh, it was surreal. Yeah, it was surreal. That, yeah, that they that they got to come and see me on stage. Um, I think they saw me a few times. I can't really remember now because I, you know, was I was yeah. on so frequently and so last minute because I was I was covering all these different roles. Um, but they've, they've seen me, I think in everything, I think they've seen me in everything that I've done with the exception of seeing me star in the book of Mormon in London. I think they, did they see that? Actually, they did see that. Yeah. Is it hard to put into words how singing and dancing and performing makes you feel? If it's too hard. We can um, Good question. No, I, I think it makes me feel free. Yeah. I think it makes me feel free. 
it's one of the few times in life I think that I can that I can get out of my head. Yeah. And it's just and, pure joy. Yeah. Yeah. And also I love that I mean that you'll you'll go to the West End. You you just had a wonderful run um as Laurel, right? Yeah. Dream Girls. Mm-hmm. How is it different for you performing over there, or I, or is it be, all depend on the show you're performing on Broadway versus the West End? Or you- well, I think as actors in New York, it's a it's a dream to get to perform on a West End stage. I just I think it's it's something that if it's not an immediate goal, I think it's something that actors aspire to do, just because you know, theater in London is incredible. And there's a, there's a certain gravitas that comes with, with performing in, you know, in the West End on a West End stage, um, no matter what the production is, you know? Um, and it's rare, it's rare that an actor gets to do it. And, and I've gotten to do it twice. I had two experiences that were atypical for, for being in the West End, um, just in terms of the audiences, you know, I was in Book of Mormon, the Book of Mormon yes. and Dreamgirls. And generally, West End audiences and British people are very, you know, reserved and sort of, and you know, very polite. And I was in two shows that were so rowdy audience-wise. <laughs> it was incredible. It was incredible. You know, you had show-stopping moments in Dreamgirls, um, mm. you know, from some of the really well-known musical numbers. And, and, and there were just these incredible goosebumps moments. Um, and then with Book of Mormon, because it's so outrageous, you know, <laughs> the audiences just went nuts. And and interestingly, they they laugh at different things. You know, I think <laughs> um, <laughs> the Brits make fun of us, and so <laughs> there were certain there were certain jokes that would really land in in the West End that were that were different here, and vice versa. So that was fun having having done the show uh, in both countries. I was I was getting a kick out of the different response, and I love just how eclectic your career is that how I saw you in sweet charity and um, in that just delightful, wonderful new group production. Um, And then I love, I love you in submissions only this delightful web series. How, yeah, I mean, here you've been, had this solid career for 20 years now. How do you get through the, um, what that I've been told is that it's it's a marathon mm-hmm. you know, having a career like that. But what what keeps you going in the industry? How do you stay the course? Well, I I'm a big proponent for self care. I think that yeah. I think that the important thing to remember and to remind yourself of is that you are not the job that you're doing. Um, because there are going to be breaks in work. There just are. That's just, you know, shows open, shows close. Um, contracts are not always open-ended, you know, and there were times where I would go from show to show to show. In fact, I, you know, there was a period of time where I was overlapping. I was rehearsing a new show while I was still in the other show. And so when that, that's, that ended, that little run ended and I was exhausted and had no idea that I was exhausted. But more than that, I had sort of lost touch with myself and who I was and what I was interested in. It's because I was 
going to work every day and doing eight shows a week for, for years at a time. Um, and so what, what helped me was just A, to rest, and B, to just really reconnect with who I was outside of outside of all of all of the shows and the work and the auditions um you know I think as artists because because we're so personally connected to what it is we do it can sometimes um you can you can fall into the trap of identifying yourself by by the show that you're in and so that helped me a lot um therapy I just think I just think it, it has helped me to to stay grounded and to I think that the times in between are really important because they remind you who you are and they remind you what you want and what you are draw you know what you are actually what you actually like and they inform the path a little bit so you're not just blindly saying yes to the next job. Is is there something you wish you could tell that Asmaret, who's just starting Footloose, the NYU student, who's also on Broadway, is there something, knowing all you know now, is there something you wish you could say to her? I would say to her, it's going to work out the way it's meant to. I think it's easy to fall into the the trap of comparing your journey to other people's journeys you know i'm i'm here and and i i wish i were this further along and i wish i were doing what that person were doing and and why didn't i get a call for this um and i just remind myself that my path to getting here was so unique and that is no different for the path moving forward I just look at, you know, I look at my career. I look at how eclectic my career has been. And it's just a, it's a nice reminder. I, you know, I, I don't always, I don't often look back. Um, but I think, you know, with the time that we have now where everything is shut down, it's it's been a, a really nice opportunity to take inventory of my life and my career. Um, just as, just as sort of information moving forward, you know, um, it's to express gratitude for everything that I've been through to, to, to see where I would like to go next. Um, I just think that everyone's journey is so different and so individual. And I think if we can all remember that, that we'll be, you know, we'll sleep a lot better at night. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know? I, don't you feel like maybe, or, at the end of the day, when we see each other as individuals, that's how we go towards the path of healing. Yes. You know, not putting people into groups and generalizing who yes. they are. Yeah. I think the gentler we are with ourselves, the gentler we can be with other people. You know, it's yeah. compassion is, is such an important trait to hold on to. People are calling this moment and awakening there's the beautiful we see you white american theater statement from theater artists um how are you seeing behind the scenes pivot this has been going on for a long time and black people and people of color have been talking about it for years i think where i'm seeing a pivot is i'm seeing people who are not black and who this does not directly immediately affect 
wake up and and start to take a stand with us and for us. Um, you know, this idea of an ally, I think, is really being fine-tuned. And I think people are being asked to not just talk the talk, I mean, to not just walk the walk, but actually what my friend says, you know, walk the talk. Yeah. Um, I'm seeing, I'm seeing be- maybe because we're, you know, we're, we're all at home, um, people really developing an awareness and starting to educate themselves. And it feels, it feels as though people are listening and people are, are answering this call to action that we've been making for, for several years. I feel a shift in terms of consciousness. That people are listening. A friend of mine said she feels as a woman of color that sometimes she's energized and yet sometimes she's exhausted. Yes. Uh, and she runs the gamut of, ex- of emotions because people are contacting her uh, to ask what they could do yeah. um, or apologize. And yeah. I thought it was phenomenal. You have a beautiful quote on your Instagram, that, and I'll let you tell it. <laughs> yes, I said... <laughs> I said, if you can figure out how to make banana bread, you can easily find James Baldwin. Um, I have seen so many, you know, and I I was having a conversation with a friend of mine who said, wait, I thought we weren't eating bread anymore. I thought carbs were out. And suddenly, (laughs) since this pandemic, I have seen more banana bread and sourdough posts on social media than I have in, you know, in Instagram's entire existence. Um, yeah, I just, you know, I'm I'm the same. I think, you know, if you if you are the token black friend in your circle or if, you know, people feel comfortable reaching out to you, this experience is not unique. I've I had a series of emails, phone calls, text messages, you know, with apologies and asking for help um in terms of finding resources, you know, actually the reason why Josh and I got onto Instagram live um that morning is because I said we're tired. You know, um, that was Josh Gad. It was right. Josh Gad, yes. Right. Um, yeah. Who's I, my dear, amazing friend? Who I'm very grateful. Uh, I'm very grateful to him for for sharing his his platform and using his platform to amplify my voice. Um, we're tired, you know. This is because this is not new for us, and because watching these videos and and receiving this information re-triggers us time and time again it's it's a lot to to go through and then we're in a global pandemic and then we have friends of ours asking us where to get this information well you found these recipes you know how to grow basil in your kitchen now certainly you can you can you know use that search engine for something other than carbs (laughs) exactly yes Um, yes so I, I <laughs> that sentiment has been echoed a lot. You know, it's it's a draining time. It's an emotionally draining time, and and um, you know that's why the other you know my other point in my in my op ed piece was you know don't be don't just be sorry. Change. We've heard sorry yeah. all these years. Yes. So. Yeah, and and it's not up to everyone else to be the solution. Right. You could be part of the solution. Yes. And and just like all of our stories are different, you know, just as we are not monolithic, 
there are millions of resources out there and and it's your job to to seek them out and see what speaks to you you know um you may want to examine these nonprofits that that exist and you may want to go out and protest or you may want to stay home and make phone calls to these people in charge to tell them that you don't agree with what's happening or the or the you know the lull in dis, in bringing some of these officers you know and in, in arresting them i think that this whole thing it has to be personal in order for there to be change yeah no you're absolutely right it has to resonate with you yeah and feel good yeah so it's almost reaching inside yourself and say okay how can i Where's my internal um, James Baldwin? That's or, right. <laughs> That's right. With or my Toni Morrison or my Zora Neale Hurston, you know? Yes, yes. Or my Martin Luther King or my... That's right, yes. yes. Yeah, or my Maya Angelou. Right, or, exactly. Or, you know, people like Sean King today, people who are, who, who are endless resources, you know? There, there's so many people, you know, depending on, you know, you want a book? Do you want an Instagram account? Do you want a website? You know, there, there's so there's so much information out there. What I think is phenomenal is that we don't have to be silent. We mm. can talk about these things. The hope is that we can talk about these things, that there's an open forum. Yes. For discussion. Yes. You know, I heard something interesting on TV last night. It was Kamau Bell talking um, about everything that's happening. And he said, he said, Martin Luther King Jr. didn't know that when he was 35, he was going to give this speech. You know, black people figured this out several years ago during the civil rights movement. So there are going to be mistakes. People, you know, it is expected that you will stumble through these questions and these conversations. But it's, it's really just seeing the action that makes a huge difference. At this point, you can't afford to be silent anymore. Thank you so much, Asmaret, for taking thank the time. You. It's just a pleasure to talk to you. Oh, thank you so much for having me. This is really lovely. The theme song was written by Tom McGovern. This episode was edited by Kyle Moore, and the talent was booked by Anna Stroud. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. 
Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.